You're listening to Veterinary Vertex, a podcast of the ABMA journals. In this episode, we chat about DL-methionine and amoxicillin clavulanic acid to dissolve struvite, urocystilis, in dogs with our guest, Amber Harris. Welcome to Veterinary Vertex. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Fortier, and I'm joined by Associate Editor Sarah Wright. Today, we have Amber Harris joining us. Hey, Amber, thanks so much for being here today. Oh, yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. So, Amber, I was actually just scheduling your manuscript for social media promotion at the end of May, and I saw your name, and I was like, oh, we're interviewing her this afternoon. So, really excited to have you here. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. This is uh, my first ever kind of like interview thing. So, I'm happy. I'm excited. This This is great. This is all new to me. Awesome. So your manuscript in JAVMA discusses DL-methionine and amoxicillin clavulanic acid to dissolve struvite urocystilis in dogs. Can you give our listeners background on struvite urocystilis? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll focus on dogs since it's slightly different in cats, but my manuscript was on dogs. And this is probably um, what the majority of people that are listening to this particular podcast are interested in. So essentially, struvites are one of the two most common bladder stones or stones within the urinary tract system that form in our pets, dogs and cats alike. Struvites in dogs in particular are formed usually secondary to urinary tract infections and UTIs due to pathogens that perform that form urease. So those tend to be staphylococcus species. Uh, Pseudomonas is another one of those bacteria that do that, as well as actually enterococcus. So a lot of us don't think of enterococcus as being a urease forming bacteria, but it actually can be um, and can contribute to struvite formation. So essentially what winds up happening is these stones form when a kind of a perfect storm occurs. What you're looking for is a very basic or alkaline uh, urine pH. And so these urease producers allow the urine pH to become this more basic level. And what that then does is it allows ions such as magnesium ions, phosphate ions, even ammonium, which are three components of struvite stones, to then precipitate out or, or form that crystallization process. And then those storms begin to, stones begin to form around that initial nidus. And so with these urease producers, with these UTIs, that higher pH is what these stones love to form in. They dissolve in more acidic or neutral pHs, um, which is kind of the baseline for many of these urinary uh, dissolution diets. They tend to be causing the urine pH to be more neutral or acidic. And so that's what kind of part of this goal, which I think we'll, we'll probably wind up talking more about my paper in a little bit, but that's sort of a background that will help with regards to why did we look at, you know, these different things with, with clavamox or amoxiclav uh, with regards to struvite stones in particular. Um, a way I, I kind of tried to explain to owners and pet parents is, you know, that experiment that we all did when we were, well, hopefully we all did, this is a fun experiment when we were all, you know, kids and you kind of heat up water with sugar in it. So it gets super saturated. And then you put like a string in there and then a, sh- a crystal will form on that string. And that just keeps everything going because you've now allowed that super saturated solution to become out of saturation and, and precipitate out. And that's how these stones form in general, not just with struvites. That's kind of the idea behind that. Does that sort of make sense? Definitely. Thank you. It's a really good way to explain it. And this is really frustrating, I know, for many clinicians to see. So hopefully your manuscript will add another tool to their toolkit when they see this presentation. I'm hoping so. 
So what is D-L-methionine and how does it work with amoxicillin clavulanic acid to dissolve struvites? Yes, another great question. So essentially, D-L-methionine is an acidifier. It's a urinary acidifier. And so it's doing what some diets are able to do and what we're wanting to do. Because with these urease producers, now the pH of our urine is more basic, more alkaline. And so by giving this acidifier, which our pets can just eat, um, granted the tablet sizes are a bit big, so that's why the, the dosages are a little uh, wide in the, in the manuscript itself. But um, you give this acidifier and it causes the urine pH to become more neutral, become more acidic. We always want to be careful though, because um, other stones, such as calcium oxalate stones, like acidic urine. So even when we think of urinary diets as acidifying diets, it's actually more towards neutral. That's really our goal um, to kind of dissolve these struvite stones, which is what uh, the D-L-methionine's part of that goal was for, while also not promoting the formation of other stones. And so we use the D-L-methionine as our acidifier. And as I mentioned kind of in the previous question, these stones form due to UTIs. So if you are not treating the underlying UTI, you are not going to be able to get rid of these stones. And you really need to keep them on these antibiotics for as long as it takes to dissolve the stones. Because as you can probably imagine, as the stone layers form on themselves, sort of like onion layers, if you will, bacteria can hide in between those layers. So as you dissolve the outer layer, more bacteria get released. And so if you aren't continuously treating that UTI, you're only doing half the work. And if you if you aren't you know, still on those antibiotics, then you can acidify the urine all you want, but if you don't get rid of that UTI, then it's chances are that you're going to still get that stone not actually dissolving as you want it to. And so that's really um, how the D-L-methionine worked in conjunction with amoxiclav, or I'm going to say clavamox, that's what the, the brand name ones that they were all on. Um, what I do want to point out is all of the dogs in the study happened to be on clavamox for with regards to treating their UTIs. And that was based on culture and sensitivity. And so being good antimicrobial stewards, uh, shout out to one of my mentors at University of Minnesota, Dr. Jennifer Granick. I'm big, big proponent of antimicrobial stewardship. Um, basically, these were simple or sporadic or uncomplicated UTIs. And so you always want to base treatment on your culture and sensitivity happened that all of these dogs were susceptible to clavamox. So that's why it turned out that the dogs wound up being on clavamox that were also given D-L-methionine. Um, that does put a caveat that I can't say that this will work with all antibiotics, though playing the odds, if you have your pet on the right antibiotic for their UTI, they have struvite stones, you're treating that appropriately and you add in this acidifier, chances are it will still likely work even if it's not clavamox. Um, but that's just a little caveat that I can't explicitly say will work with other antibiotics. But as long as you follow the appropriate ice guidelines and all of those things, it should still work out as it, as it should, um, unless it's not struvite. And you're like, okay, great. Well, it's struvite. So let's, uh, let's try something else to, to get rid of those stones. Yeah, really good insight, Amber. Thank you. I, I like the description of the onion peel. Maybe that helps with some compliance and having these owners keep these animals on because they can be pretty long-term antimicrobials. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially like if you have like those nephrolis, because those can they can dissolve, but they can take a while. And so um, even though I I try not to have my patients on antimi antimicrobials for very long, but this is one exception where you if you don't, then you're it's almost a waste of having them on the antibiotic, if if that makes sense, because you're not 
doing the job that you want them to. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I've, I've tried to come up with different analogies and like little uh, symbols and metaphors to help pet parents understand. So like the onion one works really well for me. So it's like, I think, I think this kind of makes sense. And once you start like peeling back those onions sort of reminds me of a uh, Shrek um, for, for those that saw, saw that movie, which is a while ago now, but uh, that's kind of what it reminds me of when I think about it. Yep. I'm clearly a Shrek fan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you clearly have this passion for your research. What, what inspired this research in neurocystoliathus? Yeah. Neurocystolis. Yeah, that I know it's a mouthful. Like I totally if you like say it more stones. many times, yes, stones. We're just gonna say stones. It's a lot easier. So if you say it so many times, you're like tongue twist, tongue twisted and tongue-tied and all these things. Um, well, part of my research interests, uh, I, I went to the University of Minnesota for my residency. So almost by default, you cannot leave that residency and not have either ignited an interest in stones that you didn't know you had, or further grew uh, an interest in, in stones that you had. I, again, another shout out to two of my mentors, Dr. Jody Lulich and uh, Dr. Ila Furrow. Uh, they are amongst the gurus in our in our calcium and urinary world. Um, but I really, you know, I got to work with both of them and having the Minnesota Urola Center literally down the hall was just amazing. Uh, I was definitely spoiled being able to get results back same day on, on stone cases that we were working with. And so just, just having that and, and seeing how stones can be so complex and so beautiful and, and all of these things, it just really just kind of ignited and, and continued to grow my passion for anything really, but it was like, wow, stones are amazing. And I was, you know, someone who loved chemistry growing up. And so you just more of this all together and how, you know, you don't have to always use very elaborate medications or things like that to to manage disease processes. We're literally using an acidifier with appropriate antibiotics, thinking about the chemistry of how this works. And so it was just, it's just all these kind of fun things. And it's like, wow, this is a new way of doing things um, that are relatively simple. You give your pet an additional treat with their medication and they're like, okay, great. I got a treat today. And you're like, excellent. We're actually treating you, but this is good. Um, and it's not only antibiotics or any other, um, any other scary medic medications that owners can kind of be afraid of at times. And so um, that's sort of what sparked and then continued my interest in, uh, in stones um, beginning with my residency, really. Yeah. And a shout out to mentorship, you know, Sarah and I, it's a recurring, recurring, recurring theme of finding a mentor who isn't, wasn't your assignment or you find them through a commonality and they really encourage your, the passion you probably are, you already had, like you said, for chemistry. So, so well done to all your mentors. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's uh, been like that ever since I can remember going through school, you just find the right person or people and you just kind of click and whether they're your official mentors or not, it's just, yeah, this is great. And then you continue to grow in, in whatever ways possible. Yeah. Well, thank you for um, choosing us and JABMA for your important, really clinically, clinically important manuscript. And, you know, that's why we wanted to hear from you on the podcast as well. And we re recognize that you have lots of choices. There's so many journals to choose. Uh, so selfishly, we're just a little interested in knowing uh, why did you choose JABMA for this important manuscript and tell us a little bit about your experience in our editorial process. Yeah, for sure. So actually, you kind of hit the, the nail on the head, if you will. I really like JAPMA because 
not only does it appeal to specialists, but it also appeals to the general practitioner. And, and I really thought that this particular information is something that I want the, the general practitioner and the general public to really be aware of in our vet world, because it gives another tool in our tool belt, in our kit, that we can provide to pet parents that may be less expensive um, and might be easier for them to get. And I just, I loved how this, your your issues, all of these are really geared towards helping everyone. And even, you know, even large animal vets can benefit from this because I, I imagine that either you own pets that may get strebite stones, or I'm sure there are going to be farm dogs or others that you'll wind up treating because you're there and, you know, the, the farmer, the owner asks, hey, my dog has been showing these signs. What do you think kind of situation? And so just knowing I don't have to give, I don't have to prescribe a prescription diet. You don't have to spend all this money. You don't have to change the diet. Let's just do the appropriate antibiotic and then do um, an acidifier. And it should work, assuming we're treating the correct thing. And so I just really love the accessibility of JAVMA, honestly, to to everyone. And it's very readable. Um, it doesn't exclude anyone, which I think is, is really nice. Um, and I found, honestly, the editorial process to be very smooth. Um, it was very quick. You all got back to me very quickly. I was able to do corrections. I, I made an error in my initial submission. I forgot to answer one of the, the corrections. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was an easy one to, to correct. And I sent an email panicked, of course, because it was after the, the deadline, the morning of the, the day after. I was like, oh my gosh, I submitted this. Everyone was super helpful. Got back to me very quickly, opened it back up. I answered that one, which was like, I had the answer. I just forgot to include it in my submissions. And so it was just, it was really, really I found it quite smooth and and maybe I'm just being a little bit biased since this was, to be honest, my first time submitting a manuscript, but I would gladly submit more to JAVMA because I, I really enjoyed the process. Um, and I'm, I'm not just saying that because we're talking, but I really did. I didn't, I wasn't too, too stressed actually once I got past the, oh, everyone is really receptive and they get back to me quickly and they're understanding. And so um, it was actually a, quite a smooth process. Um, I hope, I imagine that's the normal, I'm going to say it's the normal uh, way it goes, but I, I didn't really run into any hiccups or anything like that. That's great to hear. We definitely strive to provide good customer service. So we're trying to put our authors and reviewers first. So we're really happy to hear that. But thank you. Yeah, I definitely felt like I was uh, being listened to and helped and throughout the entire way. And if I had questions, um, everyone was very responsive and getting back to me. So I was, I was very pleased. Awesome. Well, thanks again. So back to your training now. And I was going to actually ask you if you were Minnesota trained as soon as I saw a title of your manuscript, I was like, this is a Minnesota person. <laughs> Anything? Yes, I am. I am Minnesota trained. And then of course, when you look at one of the co-authors who, uh, another uh, mentor of, of mine, another shout out to Dr. Joe Barges. I, I basically, I don't know how this happened, but I have essentially, wherever my training has taken me, stones or urinary system has in some way, shape or form been there. So, um, uh, but Dr. Varges is another one who um, I met during my internship here at UGA and then a uh, job opened up here and now I'm back and he was very readily available to help me with this as well. So. Excellent. We had a ER vet during my rotating internship that was also Minnesota trained. And every, anytime I had a black cat, I would go to her. I'd be like, all right, black cat, what is the Minnesota way? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Absolutely. I, uh, you see so many like stone cases in various different forms and you're just yep. like, great. I'm very comfortable with that now, which is nice because yep. it definitely makes up a large component of internal medicine in general. Yes. So. 
Right. Most definitely. So back to your manuscript. This is yes. an important question for our listeners. If a veterinarian is about to meet a client, what is one piece of information they should know about DL-methionine and amoxicillin clavulanic acid to dissolve struvite erosystilis in dogs? Yeah, so I would say the take-home message of this particular study and, and just this manuscript is that as long as we're appropriately treating the UTI with antibiotics, um, assuming it's a struvite stone, which there are various different ways to do so, um, just confirm that without 100% confirming it. But as long as we're appropriately treating the UTI, you don't necessarily have to train change a dog's diet. Um, you don't have to have pet parents buy a prescription diet if you can get the pet to take this acidifier. And taking this acidifier um, is a safe, viable, and very appropriate option for treatment and dissolution, hopefully, ideally, of struvite stones, as long as, again, you're treating the UTI. So I think that that's a really the important takeaway from this. Because um, I know a lot of times these urinary diets, I love them. I think they have their time and their place, um, but they can be expensive. And sometimes pets don't eat them. And so knowing that you can just keep your pet on a ideally well, uh, well-balanced diet um, while treating the UTI, you just give them this acidifier. It did not affect any of the dogs with regards to systemic side effects. Um, and it dissolved the stones in 11 of the dogs. And so it was just, it was, it, it was just really cool that this worked and it still works in the same amount of time as changing to a diet would. So really being able to have referring veterinarians, primary care veterinarians understand that this is a viable option, adding in an acidifier without really having to change anything else is something that I think is important for them to be able to relate to pet parents and just be like, hey, by the way, we think your pet has this. Maybe in the past you've had other dogs that had stones due to urinary tract infections and we've had to do the expensive diet switch. Now let's just try this acidifier and it works just as well and it doesn't hurt the pet. Um, so I think that that's kind of what I want people to get out of this paper. Um, if they're just, you know, skimming the abstract or cutting to the end of the, the discussion, like that's what um, one of the big take homes of this particular manuscript, manuscript is that I'm, I'm hoping everyone can kind of gather from that. Yeah, I think that's very appropriate. We have options. That's, yes. that's the take home. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We have options and it's not an inferior option either. So people don't have to feel bad, for example, not being able to, you know, afford more expensive prescription food. I get that. I had been a resident for a year. You know, I, I understand the inability to afford things sometimes. And so um, it's just great that this is another option that that we have to offer um, that works just as well. Awesome. Uh, as we wind down a little bit, we try to learn a little bit more about uh, Amber and how she got to be Amber. Uh, so our first question is, what is the oldest or the most interesting item either in your desk or on top of your desk? So probably um, it's it's in, in my desk over there, but the most interesting item that I have which may seem gross to people. I don't know, but um, I, I love neurology and I love surgery, which you probably wouldn't expect an internist to say that, but I do. Um, I love both. And so I was externing at Angel uh, during uh, my schooling because uh, I was interested in potentially going there for an internship. And I was able to get in on a craniotomy um, in a cat with their neuroservice. So they actually let me keep part of the cranium. So I actually have part of a cat cranium. Um, some people might think that's kind of weird, but I do. It's 
coolest thing I think that I have in my desk. Um, but but I do have that. Um, it's actually still in the glove that I put it in after I got it. Um, so yeah, I know a little world weird. Maybe I shouldn't have admitted that, but I did. So here we are. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably um, one of the cooler things I have uh, in, in my desk. That's cooler than a Struvite bracelet. <laughs> yeah, though that would be kind of cool. Not going to lie, but no, I, I have a cat cranium. <laughs> Couldn't help it. <laughs> Veterinarians, of course, all of us as equine vets have the half of the gastrointestinal stone, right? And you cut them in half and they're beautiful. I agree. Like these stones can be because the owners want half. And sometimes you have to cut your half and half and give some to a resident. And <laughs> you know, I get it. It's just like, I know they're so, everything's so beautiful. And you're like, you just, you just can't not have them. Like you just can't. <laughs> the other uh, thing we'd like to know you hear a lot about wellness and grit and all these work-life balances and resilience. And where did your resilience or inspiration or determination, whatever, however you want to round it out, where did you get it from? Yeah. So that's a, that's a great question. And this is one that I've kind of like reflected on in the past before. And I'm like, where did I, where did I get this from? And, and to be honest, I really do think it, I've kind of inherited the traits that I think my parents have. And so um, it may seem kind of cliche in an answer, but I really think that my parents, you know, growing up showed me a lot of um, persistence and resilience and more importantly, and this is what I really think allowed me to kind of foster those traits that I have is they just, they supported me. They supported my me and my brother and they still do in whatever we wanted to do, um, which was nice because I knew I could, try something. And if I were to fail, I still had them there supporting me through that. And that no one likes to fail, of course, but that helped me um, start to be more okay with taking these measured and calculated risks. And along with the support, they also told me that I could do anything I wanted, but I was going to need to put the work into it. And so when I told them I wanted to be a vet, they said, great, but you're going to need to put the work into it. And so I said, okay. And whenever I put my mind into something, I'm going to put more than a hundred percent into it. And, and typically if I set a goal, I achieve that goal regardless of, of what it is, assuming it's a good goal, which tried to make good goals. Um, and so I really think that part of it was just kind of growing up in that really supportive environment. Um, and my parents have always been there, like, I'll get a little bit deeper. So, I mean, I grew up in a border town. So like if I was going to go to college, I was going to go to college because I got a scholarship, right? My, my parents couldn't afford that. And that, that's fine. Like not, not very many um, families can. And so I wanted to be a vet. I was that kid, you know, since like two years old, my first word was meow, apparently is what my parents told me. And I was like, oh, okay, great. That works. Uh, and so I just, I had this goal, wanted to be a vet. So I worked hard towards it. They supported me in whatever way they could. and so that just allowed me to continue on. And I've always just kept going. And I had a goal of becoming a specialist and working in academia by the time I was 30. And I achieved that goal. And I was like, great, next goal. I'm not sure yet, but it's going to be there. And so that's just kind of where, where it came from. I've just always had that support. And it's been helpful in, in anything and everything I've I've ever done. Um, and so, yeah, a little bit of a cliche, cliche answer. But honestly, I, I really do think that that's where it comes from. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, Amber. It's really awesome. It's been great to chat with you two today and just sharing more information about your manuscript with our listeners. So thank you again for your contribution to JAPMA. 
Oh yeah, you're very welcome. I'm I'm very happy I got to talk with you all. I'm glad I you know this paper was able to to be published and is out there for everyone to read, uh, especially online, which is great. So yeah, super happy to to have been able to chat with with you all. And to our listeners, you can read Amber's manuscript on our journal's website and in print JAPMA. I'm Dr. Sarah Wright with Dr. Lisa Fortier. We want to thank each of you for joining us on this episode of the Veterinary Vertex podcast. We love sharing cutting-edge veterinary research with you, and we want to hear from you. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to.